on the wall, something, something, serial killer rhyme. Because it appears the villain in Oculus is a mirror. What was your previous favorite unconventional horror villain? I'm Katie Rich, and I'm going with the trees in the happening, or maybe it was the wind. Either way, nature kills. Hey, I'm David the Seven, and I say the stuff. Dessert that kills you. Never forget Charlie. I'm Matt Patches, and I'm going to go with The Blob from uh, Steve McQueen's 1958 horror movie, which looks like an emptied can of Canberry. Uh, I'm David Ehrlich, and I'm going to go with The Gingerbread Man, because calories can kill. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine, too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's It's a podcast. Hello, and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 18 for Tuesday, April 8th. 2014. Thank you for listening to us again, and thank you for leaving iTunes reviews. David is going to tell you, you lucky person who loved to review, how grateful we are. I was so grateful, so <laughs> grateful for Jay Frawl, who gave us our first three-star review titled, <laughs> What You'd Expect When You're Expecting. Workmanlike, not womanlike, as Dave heard. Workmanlike analysis. Not without personality. That's a good thing, yeah. I think. Silver lining. I tapped out because I felt beaten down by the cynicism, fault-finding, and general lack of joy. Criticism Ouch. by nature dwells on the negative, which is anathema to the creative spirit. David, mm. I, I know that's the first time you've ever been accused of a lack of joy in your life. It just sounds like this uh, individual is just describing me. (laughs) 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 You guys are all being dragged down along with me. Anyway, Jay Frow, we're sorry to lose you, but if you're still listening to the show, people who are not Jay Frow, please leave us your feedback, particularly if it is uh, of the enthusiastic variety, (laughs) and we will (laughs) read it and psychoanalyze you. We should be more joyful. And if you do call us woman-like, we will especially read it. Let's not start with a stumble anymore. Let's let's get right to it. I agree. Wow, right. Captain America the Winter Soldier is already number 189 out of the top 250 films on IMDb. That, that is amazing. Every I know, it's amazing. It's such a good movie. It's at least one of the best 250 movies I've ever seen in my entire life. Well, it sounds like that we've started talking about Captain America 2 patches, which <laughs> opened this Thursday at $10 million. No, no, I think it's the perfect way to get into it. That random exclamation because now it's at $95 million and climbing. And although it is uh, a very entertaining movie and a very interesting part two in the Captain America story that is weaving in and out of Avengers and Avengers Age of Ultron, I am sort of puzzled by why this movie is getting like the critical reception that it is while something like Iron Man that to me has the exact same place both in the Marvel Universe and a very similar structure story-wise. Wasn't that Iron Man 2 you were arguing? Iron Iron Man 2, yes, thank you. Had a very similar, I guess, sort of feel to it, but everyone's always pointing to that as the worst 
Marvel movie, and I've seen several lists that have put Captain America 2 either equal or sometimes above Avengers as the best Marvel movie, when really I think it's sort of this weird... I have no idea. It feels like to to me like the excitement of a mega franchise working is sort of rubbing off on certain people and then other people are just happy to see the summer kick off with a functional blockbuster that sort of keeps things rolling along. But it's for not me, the summer. Yeah. For the love of God. It's so rainy and cold. It's certainly outside. not the summer here in New York. Yeah, I was about to this say this is not a summer movie. Fair I was enough. nearly frozen Captain America style earlier this evening. So well maybe it's people want to kick off the summer. They want to have this, you know, fun action movie that, you know, sort of faints at being something else. I don't know who said the word political thriller first, but it seems like to have a political thriller you need some sort of politics i think it's more conspiracy thriller or like an espionage movie i could even understand that or just like a pure action movie where you chase a hard drive back and forth that's cool (laughs) that's the definition of a pure action movie by the way chasing Chasing a hard drive drive. it seems to work for a lot of very competent action movies but i think it's interesting because to me the difference between something like iron man 2 and captain america 2 isn't so much the quality of the storytelling because i think they're both saddled with being the middle part in the story of that character but it's sort of like because captain america isn't allowed to change and he has to sort of be this boy scout and affect the world around him whereas tony stark they're looking for a way to deal with his drinking but not deal with his drinking so he's the one that gets to be depressed in the middle of his movie outside of that difference where you know cap just likes to run from place to place and sort of discover things that way they both sort of discover things through a montage they both take long breaks to world build about where the Marvel Universe is now and lead directly into the Avengers. Is that a negative and for you? No, I don't think these are necessarily negatives for me. It's just puzzling to me because I'm not I'm lukewarm on Captain America 2. I think in terms of a phase two three two movie. God, I, <laughs> I can't keep track, track either. Phase don't worry. Sometimes these mm. days. In terms of a phase two movie. I liked Iron Man 3 because I felt like not only did it sort of have a conclusion to the Tony Stark character, which they're going to have to undo for Avengers 2, but they're probably going to have to undo some stuff from Captain America 2 anyway, just because of the nature of this not being a perfectly oiled machine yet. But it seemed to not only have some of that, but it had Shane Black coming in and adding enough Shane Black that you could see was there, even though he didn't get completely through the Marvel formula that patches you seem to have identified in terms of uh, (laughs) the the sameness. Yeah, ending Act 3 with a big CGI explosion fest, even though it's not always necessarily called for. Um, I think that movie had a lot more to offer as a single movie. And I think that Captain America 2, The Winter Soldier, while really fun, is only fun because it functions so well moment to moment. I think the Rousseau brothers showed that they were able to you know, make something out of literally nothing by directing, like, you know, paintball episodes of Community and really crappy comedies. And so, like they did with Thor 2, they, Marvel decided to roll the dice on, like, competent television directors and see how much they could, you know, milk a budget out of it. And in that terms, I think it's very successful. 
because you know you have all this action that I think works pretty well. It's not perfect action choreography where I don't know where everything's placed, but I know it well enough to know that Cap's doing cool gymnast things and throwing his shield. <laughs> and I know to be curious about Black Widow, but every time she needs to get too ambiguous, she'll step in and say something so you know how she's feeling. This is it's so just... surprising to me, Dave. This is like <laughs> that that you're kind of lukewarm on this movie because it's such um, it's so far and ahead of what Iron Man Two was doing, which was complete rehash and an incoherent one at that. I mean, it was it's everything from Iron Man One exploded into epic proportions and and just mangled by improvisation and incoherent plotting. I'm 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 shocked that you could put these on the same kind of plane, especially considering how poor most sequels are. Especially number two segments seem to just be really falling apart at the seams but and number the 3 Marvel is like movies, a moment of redemption for movies and this one the at Marvel least movies is movies never coherent. operate like sequels i mean it's it's i would yeah, hardly classify is, this yeah but the problem is i think iron man 2 does operate like a sequel as opposed to captain america which feels like an episode and a, to- and a radically different one at that it's so different than captain america the first avenger you almost have to give him credit for reinventing this character or being able to transplant him somewhat successfully david does not think so based on uh, well, anyone who, time, who, who heard our review particular episode, <laughs> i don't give them any particular credit for reinventing the character when we know that by necessity in the way this franchise is unfolding it has to take place several generations removed from the first well, film just because so it has it to doesn't mean it's an easy task to do so well, it's no, making a movie is always a difficult task, but uh, you know I think they, they did it. Uh, so this un this person who's unfamiliar with the Marvel world outside of these movies for the most part in uh, about as predictable way. I mean, once again, in the Marvel movie universe, nothing ever happens that you don't explicitly anticipate. But but I that's mean, that's the sort of thing with Captain America. You're right. I mean, nothing happens. But at least in Iron Man two. I mean, I, with Iron Man 2, no, nothing happens. No, it's a terrible movie. You're not going to get me to stand no, up I'm for not, Iron I'm Man not. 2. No, I'm not. I can't <laughs> defend Iron Man 2. What I'm saying is it's so incoherent that um, you can't see what happens because it doesn't make any sense. At least with Captain America, it's following a genre through line that seems to build and, and, and climax, if you will, in, in a typical way, but at least an energetic way and one that's um, culling from a genre we don't see much anymore. Iron Man 2 is just such an erratic mess and dave i'd love to hear more about defending iron man 2 in some way or this or or as such a marvel diehard what is not working for you in this movie this uh, you know you referenced something that i I wrote about the the sameness of these movies at least captain america seems to be hitting at least some new keys in this ongoing television show known as the marvel cinematic universe i mean certainly it's hitting new plot keys but i don't think i think it's just learn how to hit the exact same keys that iron man 2 did so what is captain america's escape from shield if not that character's version of learning what tony stark had to learn on that you know expressway which was essentially the impetus for him to meet his villain which in tony stark's case is stupid technology that his father let get out but in this now case, you're just talking about archetypes, which are 
you know, because they're more similar because they're in Marvel movies and dealing with S.H.I.E.L.D., but that's going to be, the, I mean, what does Luke Skywalker have his fight for if not the same purpose as what Captain America has it for? Right. I mean, definitely, but it's like the purpose, if this fits in the same place of where, you know, Iron Man 2 and Captain America 2 are both playing off the exact same archetypes, it's very strange to me to see people react this well to Captain America 2 because I think although well done it wasn't necessarily well do you think it has to do with the character then i mean captain america is such an optimistic character he's really he doesn't have any problems the world around him really does and versus iron man who is kind of a cynical bastard and creating Uh, a lot of the problems of iron man too yeah i wonder if people really cling to captain america because we don't have a hero character like that in the multiplexes very often it's all these you know, terrible people who have to redeem themselves over the course of a blockbuster where here's a guy who stands for for good things and does good things in the face of awfulness. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. But to me, I guess I guess with the different uh, where the difference of opinion would be is to me, a Captain America character is always going to be less interesting because he can't really change and that's held through a lot of mediums that captain america's been on that's interesting and even now you see it where they're dragging winter soldier through this movie into the next movie because you need to have some vestige of back cap back when he could change to you know sort of keep this character but do characters like that need to change i mean can't the whole gist of captain america be that the world is constantly attacking him or or evolving or devolving uh, why can't we have characters like that? Why don't they function? Or at least for you, personally. Well, I mean, I think they do, but that's not what Marvel does well. That's more of, like, Superman, where Superman exists to be a symbol, but what Marvel does really well is using these characters to explore sort of how they react to society and not necessarily treat them as, like, these demigods or myths but as stories about people and yet it seems like our favorite blockbusters do that indiana jones luke skywalker as katie said are all kind of good people who don't change they don't get better and they and they're not redeeming themselves they've always been good i mean those are action movies and those are serials and i think that's a lot of reason why in terms of cinema goers we were willing to put up with all the different weird versions of batman and the ford previous superman movies before we decided to try to grapple with it as a story on its own terms and i think you know the culture sort of grows into it but if we're talking about a company you know nurturing its core characters and the ways it sees fit it's going to nurture tony stark to be depressing and it's going to nurture captain america to not change and it's just interesting to me to see a movie that I guess wasn't supported its first time, or a character that wasn't supported in his first movie the way he was now, doing getting so much support for what I feel is sort of the exact same echo as something that their like flagship character got so much shit for. Yeah, but what do you think of the after credits scene? Hmm. Um, <laughs> in- interesting. <laughs> Is this another? Is this a half hour diatribe we're about to hear? I'm sorry, I opened up Pandora's box. Wait, I'm oh wait, that was a real question. That wasn't the... interesting about the after credit <laughs> sequence. There are many I'm, I'm stoking I would the use. fire. I'm stoking the fire. I'm not. Really... I didn't know that was a real question. I thought that was a way to pinch off the segment. Do but it. If, do uh, it. Which which after credit scene are we talking? about? Oh my god, not the second no, one, which is nothing. I don't want to hear you pinch off anything. Well, let's just move that on. That is gross. 
all right. Well, Nick Fury's going to Europe, which is probably where the German guys are, because that guy's a Hydra guy from the comics who stayed alive through bio enhancements, and he's made the twins somehow from Loki's scepter. <laughs> See you at Avengers Age of Ultron. That's actually Marvel's second Broadway show. Nick Fury goes to Europe. <laughs> Captain America said you gotta be like me or you're gonna wind up dead at the end of your road. I broke down and died. You sleep ahead on to go to bed. Give it on your mind. Okay, so in honor of uh, this week's latest David Gordon Green film, I'm sorry, I've drank a lot of wine. Um, <laughs> Joe which is based on a novel by Larry Brown, and I, I I identify it as like a Southern Gothic Napoleon Dynamite. That's how I've been pitching it to people. I thought it was wonderful. A lot of people hate Joe. See, you say Southern Gothic Napoleon Dynamite, and I want to run far away. Oh, I hate Napoleon Dynamite. I should say that too, and I enjoyed the hell out of Joe. It's so strange. Uh, and Nicolas Cage is wonderful. I think David Gordon Green can kind of kind of pull back his reins and, and rein him in and, and get him to do some amazing stuff. Um, but in honor of Nicolas Cage and his craziness, I have challenged Fighting in the War Room to a Nicolas Cage impression off, uh, where all four of us are going to do our best <laughs> Nicolas Cage impression for a, from a line from one of his movies. Um, Dave, I'm going to put this on you because you did the tidbit. You're going to go first. What what movie, what line, and, and give us your best Nicholas Cage impression. Oh my God! All right. Well, I apologize to everybody who both does impressions and enjoys Nicholas Cage, mm -hmm. but I've cho chosen the monologue at the end of the first visitation of Bringing Out the Dead. Yes. Wow. <clears throat> so, pardon me while I murder this Nicholas Cage quote. In the last year, I'd come to believe in such things as spirits leaving the body. And not wanting to be put back. Spirits angry at the awkward place that death had left them. And I understand how crazy it was to think this way. But convinced that if I turned around, I'd see old man Burke standing at the window, watching, waiting for us to finish. You sound more like Nick Offerman than Nick Cage. But... Well, thank you All very right, much, David. David. You go. You're up. I, I don't know about my, the impression, but I do have a full belief in the quality of the quote, <laughs> which uh, comes from the same film that all ten of the greatest Nicolas Cage quotes would come from, which is The Rock, of course. Uh, and I think I've actually – we've done this – or I've done this quote on the show before, but it's, uh, it's definitely when uh, he's like, listen – I think we got started off on the wrong foot. Stan Goodspeed, FBI, uh, let's talk music. Do you like the Elton John song, Rocket Man? And then one of you has to say, I don't like soft-ass shit. I just said it, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> he goes, oh, you. Oh, 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 well. I only bring it up because uh, it's you. You're the Rocket Man. And then he fires the rocket. And Woody Allen the in The Rock. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, 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 I, I, <laughs> a whole Next week here. on David Ehrlich Explains Nicolas well, Cage. Only, I only bring it up because uh, it's, it's you. You're, you're the Rocket Man. You're the Rocket Man. Uh, Haiti. Okay, I'm going with the movie I was afraid that everyone else was going to pick. It's David Lynch's Wild at Heart, which... Nicholas Cage plays Sailor Ripley running away with Laura Dern. And in his best line of the entire movie, 
Did I ever tell you that this here jacket represents a symbol of my individuality and my belief in personal freedom? One line. That's it. That's all you need. Boom. I'm trying to now think of who is the female equivalent of Nicolas Cage. I really thought it was this here snakeskin leather jacket, not just this here jacket, but uh, <laughs> I, have, I haven't seen the movie in a while, so I'm going to trust You're writing your own version. You're adapting it. It is a snakeskin um, jacket. I know that. <laughs> and I wanted to do a line from um, the remake of Wicker Man. Oh, yeah, but I you didn't did. want to do the bees because <laughs> I thought that was too easy. So I'm going to do back one when Nicolas Really? Cage you is... thought we would all be more successful with our Nicolas Cage impressions? <laughs> yes, that the bees would really be too to easy. You really wanted to raise the bar? <laughs> I, 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 well, I'm certainly not going to raise the bar here. Here we, here we go. Here we go. Uh, Killing me won't bring back your goddamn honey! <laughs> thank, like you, Jimmy thank you, Stewart. Jimmy Stewart. Okay. <laughs> all of your impressions sound like Jimmy Stewart at a well, certain point. Well, I don't. I, well, Okay. <laughs> So I am I am entranced by Fox's miniseries uh, Cosmos, produced by Seth MacFarlane, hosted by Neil deGrasse Tyson. Whoa! Uh, Whoa! Seth MacFarlane. Produced right? by Seth MacFarlane? Wait, I thought yeah. that's why you hated it. Yeah, David, I thought that was why you wouldn't watch it. Here's a fun no, fact my... for you. Seth MacFarlane um, is, owns like almost everything Carl Sagan has ever put pen to paper on. I mean, he is the massive contributor of the Carl Sagan archive. Uh, he is a huge, oh. huge fan. And thank God for it because, I mean, family guy be damned. Uh, he is making Cosmos happen. He's keeping science alive. And he's he's putting his childhood dreams in a multi-million dollar project that looks astounding. I mean, I wish we could get a Star Trek television show that looked like Cosmos that was basically oh just God. flying God, around and discovering amazing. science and meeting the Klingons or something. It looks better than most of the movies we see every summer. Um, mostly yeah. because it's it's based <laughs> in science. Me. It looks good. Oh, shut <laughs> up. Um, anyway, the real point of talking about Cosmos today, um, not just the science lessons, I'm relearning. I, I recently just figured out why colors are different colors that's like the spectrum you know when white light breaks down to mm-hmm. roy g different why are they different colors yeah, yeah i totally forgot let science lessons of yesteryear um but dave you you were very interested in something that i kept i keep rambling about every time a new cosmos episode comes on um i'm, I'm fascinated by what a retaliation this show seems to be against um you know, you know, it's not just about trying to recapture science in this country, uh, something that's slipping away as, as NASA puts the kibosh on its um, its its missions to space. And Although I wouldn't as... blame NASA for science being less important in this country. I, I blame science, or I blame NASA, because NASA, you know, we need to be inspired by something. That's what science really is. And that's what Cosmos sets out to do, mainly. Um, inspire young people and remind them why we need to keep asking questions and make discoveries. But in the end, it's a real retaliation against um, young earth creationism and fundamental Christianity and and religion and and faith that seems to oppress asking questions and the science community. Um, when we have things like Bill Nye debating the founder of the Creation Museum, that's that's the reason Cosmos exists. We don't want to have this conversation anymore. Um, and, and oddly enough, I was going off about this on Twitter and then Dave loops in, um, our colleague, film crit Hulk 
to really slam, smash me down. <laughs> consider even considering this, um, that you know, Cosmos is really just a conversation about science, but it's not. Um, and Dave, I'm curious why you would think that it wouldn't be. Uh, one of the things that film crit Hulk brought up was that Neil deGrasse Tyson believes in faith, or he believes you should have that in your life if you want to. Um, but I don't think the show does. And what really sparked me was after seeing Noah um, and this kind of giant pop culture behemoth coming into the conversation and saying, what if there's faith and science? What if they coexist? And I don't think many um, many movies or TV shows or any any sort of writing really considers this because there's no room to. Cosmos certainly does not believe that. Um, Cosmos acknowledges that uh, religion for, for hundreds of years has really pushed Ruined science everything. aside. And, you know, yeah, I mean, <laughs> when you have the Inquisition <laughs> and uh, when... when, when you're, you're throwing scientists in jail for believing that uh, not everything revolves around the sun or revolves around the earth. You know, it's those sort of things that uh, prohibit conversation and inquiry and There's the scientific method. There's so many method. animated sequences of scientists being thrown in prison. <laughs> I know, but that's their well, point, really, right? They sequences. really drive it home on this last Sunday's episode. They make a very interesting point that a lot of sci the scientific method is derived um, in Islamic teaching. And I thought that was really interesting, not just because it's true, but because, it again, it's it's the writing of this show really knocking back Christianity. It just seems to be getting under its skin. So I'm curious, Dave, why maybe you don't think Cosmos can be this retaliation. It certainly doesn't leave room. I, I think it aligns with something that you believe, which is there's no even point in even entertaining the idea of religion or faith. Um, which is actually something I don't believe. Uh, well, but... I guess the best way to be, let me start by defining why I think it's important to talk about Cosmos instead of like stepping in on something like Noah is because if it if we're talking about interpreting someone's beliefs, whether they be scientific or religious through art, then I have much shakier ground on which to build my argument that if we're talking about what I think Cosmos is trying to present itself is, which is sort of like an edutainment tool. Sure. Which is, you know, come look at the, you know, wonders of science and look at all this because you kind of may not be learning this. We've learned throughout the country recently politically. <laughs> well, I mean, it definitely does purport to be that, I think. Right. So I think if that's the context that it's setting itself, then it has taken a very believable term and when in reflecting with how religion has reacted to these you know different set of beliefs and just be i mean i think that telling people that the earth can't be the age you think it is because then we wouldn't see any stars because light travels that fast that's not assaulting the fact that they believe in a god it's making them decide where they choose the line so if you slide the line back to wonderment that god created everything all you're really quibbling with is what you were told by some sort of greater authority and those greater authorities don't want to slide the line back even if it's in their better self-interest because then when do you stop sliding the line back every time science makes a new irrefutable discovery so i think it's very interesting to have this place culturally where we're debating creationism again literally on television like it's a real thing and not a dangerous political idea and then now that's sort of leaking into our entertainment in a way that we could be offended. Like, I don't think that scientists were offended by Passion of the Christ 
because that was an artistic expression of a belief system. You know, they're telling their myths and they're explaining why it's important to them. And that's much more important in the religious prospect. So if we're in a scientific realm of we're actually trying to educate people of how things actually are, I think that they're not being combative as much as they're drawing a line saying, like, you could believe this, but this is not science. This is not what we're talking about. But do you see the polarization of these two sides becoming more and more violent? Like, there's a difference between Cosmos teaching us lessons about science and telling us that the universe is billions and billions years old um, and saying that, well, if you believe that the Earth is only uh, 65,000 years old, then it's only this far in in the galaxy. Light would only travel this far, but that's clearly not true, people who believe in that. So it's very pointed. it's more confrontational and, than it has to be. Yes, yeah. I'm not saying... Well, I, I'm, I'm definitely saying it's confrontational. More than it has to be? I don't know. I mean, there's not really room for them to kind of softball pitch it to people. Uh, we're at a point where science has to fight back in pop culture. But I don't think I've ever seen anything like Cosmos that's really battered it down in this way before. Retaliated in the same way that like Christian films do, that Soul Surfer does. Yeah. in some ways right but i mean isn't that it's like very rare if i were to stumble into a film that i thought was about something and it twisted to be about god i would feel like it would be neat wanting to reach out and have a conversation with me as somebody who didn't want to see a film about god but you have stuff like god's not dead or you know fired whatever by kirk cameron that are, you know, oh, basically... Fireproof. By, oh, fireproof. That's, hey, that's David's favorite film. You take that back, David. You know, that's <laughs> a community talking to each other, which is fine, but we're in the realm of science and we're on things that are being aired on Fox Channel and then again on Discovery Channel and are talking about let's get kids interested and, in, you know, the certain method But they're both propaganda, learning. in a way. Well, I mean, everything's propaganda if we're going to take it to that level. But I guess the I guess the question I would have for you is, uh, to me, something like a debate between Bill Nye and what's his face about creationism is like mockingly hurtful to both sides, and somewhat more so to the scientific side. Whereas something like Cosmos, I feel, is not an assault on either side as much as it's a show setting its own terms and choosing to reckon with those things. Maybe. I think that I, I, I'm, I'm, as someone oh. who hasn't seen the show, um, I will say that the one thing that's jumped out of this conversation for me so far is what Patches was saying about uh, secular entertainment feeling the need now, and this is reflecting what's happening in the, you know popular culture at large, to fight back, to retaliate against these... Uh, it's such a strange feeling religious for me. I don't know narratives. Why. Yeah, I mean, because uh, you know, as most right-thinking people, uh, I feel like a lot of these people are also responsible for some of the entertainment. Most of the entertainment we see, uh, sort of take for granted, as well they should, that um, you, you know that <laughs> the the way the universe works. Uh, and then you see a trailer for uh, the what's it called? The documentary. It's called the, the Principle. This geocentric documentary. That is uh, Kate right. Captain Janeway narrates it. Oh, right. uh, you see, you see things like that, and I mean, I think that, like, you know, you see the influence that uh, the Kirk Cameron movies, not necessarily, but um, you know, God's Not Dead did very, very well, uh, not in this neck of the woods, but altogether. And I think that 
it's understandable to when you're empowered with the knowledge that Neil deGrasse Tyson and his ilk are to want to assert it in the popular forum and, and to turn it into uh, fodder that can be disseminated and understood uh, as widely as these sort of attack pieces against science and, and rationality are. And so I think that it's depressing that I don't I think more than anything it speaks to our educational system for me outside of the entertainment boundary it's absolutely like that we that we need this sort of thing <laughs> that people I mean obviously they're in it for they're not just their own sort of altruistic purposes well I, I like to think that people like Neil deGrasse Tyson and the people funding him Seth MacFarlane etc um, do have a stake in making sure that the world understands the points they're putting forward you know this is a entertainment product they are reaping a profit from it Um but it's not not for nothing that they uh, that it seemed like the market was ready was calling for this sort of response. I guess it's weird. Like it seems almost disingenuous to me that it's not upfront about that. I, I don't know. You know, like when Bill Nye debates Ken Ham, um, that is clearly creationism versus science, and science will trounce it because it is true. And, and creationism is a farce. Uh, well, that's that's what they're bringing to the debate. Um, whereas Cosmos is subversive in that way. It's it's not ever going to come out and say religion is this and science, you know, undercuts what? it. Um, it won't actually yeah. say Christianity or religion or faith. It will it will kind of dance around it and kind of jab it in a very strange way. And while I might agree with it. It seems strange to me. Well, because they don't want to make it about Christianity and what you believe in terms of does faith in Jesus help you through your life. They want to just but yet talk it's about very much about facts. that. But they have the well, not really. It's not about whether or not you think the earth was invented in seven days it has nothing to do with what you might get out of being a practicing Christian. And they want it to be about the faith. They don't want it to be about they want it to be about the facts, not about the faith. Like it just has nothing to do with what religion you are. It has to do with being able to look at what the facts of the world are. And but there are plenty, you, plenty comfort, of Christians who, would not, who are not creationists. When do you well, comfort think, people like that? I mean, those people need those people need something, too. They, there needs to be some sort of line in the middle. That's why I was so happy to see a lot of people checking out Noah, who were Christian, who kind of enjoyed how it not was anymore. mythologized. Not <laughs> anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, they... Um, you know, they accepted it for mythology, and they know, you know, I, I've spoken to uh, many Mormon people during The Host, when The Host came out, um, about this kind of, like, cosmological half of Mormonism that is now kind of considered laughable. Um, whatever you think of Mormonism in, in its complete form, whatever, but, like, they at least acknowledge that, you know, Jesus living on his own planet is kind of ridiculous, and maybe that that part of the religion is is silly. Um, and they themselves can say that, and a lot of Christians can't, and a lot of Christians want to, but they don't have pop culture to cling to, and Cosmos is certainly not helping it by dancing around the the, the stance it's taking. Neil deGrasse Tyson's agnosticism is not trying. bleeding through. You're asking I mean, it to do something it's not trying to do that would actually distract from what it is accomplishing. I think what it's trying to do is sort of traffic in the area of wonder, and if you attribute that wonder to a god, it allows you to keep that worldview but question things that, honestly, if you believe, you should have questioned, uh, like, on your own. But what I about guess that's, when that's, Neil that's deGrasse... That's judgmental, maybe, but... What about when, when Neil deGrasse Tyson walks around talking about... Um, 
these various scientists being locked up and all the people they're battling are they want to end the conversation with God. He actually says that when he's talking about um, Isaac Newton, that when he discovered gravity, a lot of people were like, well, things are the way they are because of God. That's why planets rotate around the sun. And he really lays into it. It was kind of, I think in the third episode, he's walking by Isaac Newton's house and he says, all these people wondered why they, uh, planets rotate around the sun. It was God, they said, God. Um, <laughs> and, and clearly not. Um, so he's, he's, he's putting that into perspective for us. It's there in the text of the show. I mean, but sure. when would you get through a like high school level of understanding of anything and not ask yourself that exact same question? I mean, personally, I wouldn't. <laughs> I mean, it's so it, it's like I I don't think I think that Cosmos is trying to navigate that very squishy area where they possibly might be able to change somebody's mind. And they know that they can, but have chosen instead to focus on the isn't this amazing part of it. Which is almost That's a more persuasive way to change somebody's mind by letting them come to those conclusions on their own. I mean, I don't know if it's going to work out for them or if it's even a proper thesis, but I know that what they're doing doesn't seem like really attacking to me as much as drawing a line between this is what we're saying and here we go. But I think we're past the point where doing that doesn't come off as an attack. Well, I mean, but we... What's the point? <laughs> like, <laughs> What's what, the point of trying to meet... But if they're not making it an attack, why do you feel like it needs to be made an attack? I'm, I don't. That's what I'm arguing here, that it, it is an attack. And I wish that there was some way that it could be about just the science, that it didn't have to be kind of caught up in this argument of science-minded atheists or or non-faith-based learners and creationists or younger people. I think they're fact-based learners. I, don't, I mean, weren't, wasn't someone saying that Neil deGrasse Tyson does believe in religion? Like That's what I'm Well, he uh, believes that you can, you can believe in whatever you want and that they do have answers, but to yeah. keep asking questions. And I, I want, I mean, the show tries to push that angle, but it ends up kind of falling back because there's no room. There's no wiggle room to to have this conversation with a religious-minded side being so oppressive, if that makes sense. I mean, there, it doesn't seem like he really delivers wait, wait, that wait. kind of think, sentiment in the I show. I think now we're saying the same thing, which is that you say it's, it appears, you know, abrasive to some people because they're unwilling to change their mind, which I think is true, but I think to a greater amount of people, it is navigating that middle ground. Because I do No, I mean, I'm saying it doesn't enough. I'm saying that it ends up having to be caught in this battle. And I wish the show could just be what you're describing. Just wonderment and just about discovery and just about history and science. And it really excels at that still. I mean, all of the all of the exploratory aspects and the visualizations. I mean, they got Bill Pope, the DP of the Matrix and Spider-Man and all of Edgar Wright's movies to shoot the shit out of Cosmos. It looks amazing. Um, and Brandon, Bannon Braga, or whatever his name is from Star Trek, is one of the directors. I mean, it, it's an amazing show, and it's very intriguing, and I wish I could be a little kid watching this for the first time, because I would eat it up. But I think you're eating the, it up now. I, think I mean, I'm definitely still eating it up. I, I just wish that it didn't feel tinged in the argument, this kind of deafening argument 
um, which I'm on one side of, but it doesn't matter. Uh, I can align I myself with certain beliefs, but in the end, I don't want the argument to be happening at all. If, if, if fundamentalist Christians want to believe what they want to believe, then go in a hole and do it. And same with people who are doing their scientific discoveries. Go in your hole and do it. I mean... But well, the people I mean, who've done the scientific it, discoveries were thrown in holes by the fundamentalist <laughs> religious people. Yeah. It's true. And it's kind of and hard to tell that people story know that? without talking about that. It's hard to tell the story it without is, but then without be, talking then be about clearer. the position. Then be clearer about it or don't seem so venomous. In, I mean, it's 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 semantics. It's it's the way that this show is written, which is an interesting fact because, you know, this kind of educate educational entertainment. I don't know what, what combo word did you use there, Dave? Edutainment. Um, yes. Uh you know, you would think you would kind of brush it off in terms of the writing. It's going to be pretty straightforward. There's going to be some pretty visuals and we're going to get out. Um, but it's a well-written show and it's a very precisely written show um, to kind of undercut religion at every turn. Well, I mean, let me ask you something then. As a well-written show and a show that is as well-produced and as well-budgeted as it was, they're obviously making it to last. So would we be having this argument about Noah if we weren't having it about Cosmos? Is it just a time Well, of... we wouldn't about Noah because Noah is down the middle. Noah is trying to, like, clasp the hands of the religious and the science-minded, in my opinion. Well, right, but I'm trying to free Cosmos from the actual cultural moment that I think we're at where it needs to feel abrasive but i don't think that cosmos set out to be like let's be abrasive i just They're wonder just like, if cosmos could is. acknowledge the war the culture war that's going on right now instead of trying to align itself with one side without you know secretly covertly doing it is that a responsible thing to do for an educational piece of material you want to use again for 30 years i think at this point it is i think it's necessary really? and mm. and to tell people who are aligned with faith but who are not fundamentalists who are not bible literalists that it's okay to believe in both to to walk a it line it might get there you don't know i mean there's still a couple more episodes left to go i don't feel like we're going in that direction i, I don't mean, either we're, but... it's becoming more and more polarized and with cosmos i really feel like it's it's two forces and one will overtake the other it's there's you either have to believe or you can't and that's scary patches just... are you okay I just, my hand just got bit off by a shark. I, uh... Oh, you know what? If you believe in God, I bet you could win some sort of <laughs> earthly reward for that. I'm going to be surfer. so pretty. I'm such a pretty blonde surfer girl. <laughs> That does it for today's Fighting in the War Room. We'll be back on Friday, or at least some of us will, to talk about Under the Skin. Uh, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. I am Matt Patches. I write on the internet all over the place, and I put all my work at mattpatches.com, and I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. And remember, if you want to leave uh, comments or tweet out our articles, or I don't know what you want to do, just go on fightinginthewarroom.com. It's a website. I'm David Ehrlich. I write things on the internet as well. You can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich and at Criterion Corner. You can find all of us together 
One Big Happy Family on Facebook at Fighting in the War Room. I'm Dave Gonzalez. I spell that first part D-A-7-E. That's also my Twitter handle. I cover superhero movie news at latino-review.com. And now is my season. It's mega franchise time, guys. We're figuring out what it means, what all the pieces look like. Super cool. But referring to this episode you just listened to, we'd love to hear your Nicolas Cage impressions. Maybe your like favorite lines from Nicolas Cage movies. Or maybe just a good Nicolas Cage impression so we could have one on the show. Call in at 914-410-6450. Leave it for us. Leave your Twitter handle. We will play it. You will get all the love and credit. But if it's too good, we may make you do it every week. So be careful with your Nicolas Cage impressions. If it's, you might be signing up for something you're not ready for. I would love to have a fake Nicolas Cage on the podcast every week. We can have them instead of uh, recent developments in that podcast we don't name anymore. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I you mean... I am Katie Rich. You can find me at Vanity Fairs Hollywood or on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. You can also find the entire podcast on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R. That's Fitwer on Twitter, where you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was... Because it appears the villain in Oculus is a mirror, what was your previous favorite unconventional horror villain? If you know that the villain in Oculus is not a mirror, don't tell us. We'd like to continue believing that. And thank you for listening to us, and we'll be back talking to you on Friday. Whoa, whoa.